Our gospel lesson is found in the Gospel of Luke. It's chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. If you are a reader, um, page 964 in the New Testament of your Pew Bible. Before we read the text, I'll make a note. In all four Gospels, the empty tomb is first discovered by pious, observant Jewish women who happened to follow Jesus. In Mark's Gospel, there were three. In Matthew's Gospel, there were two. In John's Gospel, there was one. And we will see how things unfold in the Gospel of Luke. Listen now for the word of the Lord. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that had been prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Only 20 years after the entire Jesus affair, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the early church in the city of Corinth. It is said to contain the earliest version of the resurrection story, and Paul sums it up very quickly. Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised, he appeared, cut and dry. Jesus was three days dead, and now he's been risen. It's not really about the women, or the snarky disciples, or even the empty tomb. But maybe Paul, maybe, maybe Paul is taking the easy way out. Because in all of my reading, and hearing, and learning, and teaching, and preaching this story, Luke threw me for a loop this year. I mean, did we read that part about the women correctly? Do you mean to tell me that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and Joanna walked to the tomb at the break of dawn with a whole slew of other women in tow? Because that's what it says. It says all the other women. I mean, how many witnesses do we need? Three, 12, 70, 120? Are we talking about a book club? Or are we talking about an entire neighborhood of moms? Or maybe all the circles in the church? Can you imagine if PW women showed up at the empty tomb? It would be a party. Betty Sue and Pam, Peggy, Tracy, Anna, Hannah. It would have been a party. Speaking of women who witness, when my sisters and I were growing up, my mom 
had supersonic hearing and eyes in the back of her head. She'd be in the kitchen and we'd be in the living room. Lori Catherine, you better not touch that. I can see you. Well, how can she see me if she's in the kitchen? Joe Marie, I heard that, but she was whispering. And if she didn't catch us, the neighborhood mother militia did. We could walk in the front door on a Saturday afternoon and she'd already know what we did before we even had a minute to confess. It was a network of witnesses and they paid attention because we belonged to them. And so you see these other women, they were from Galilee. And if they were from Galilee, well, Jesus was one of theirs. You see, they had been witnessing Jesus in action all along. And if they remembered what Jesus had said back then, then that also means that they had experienced the feeding of the 5,000 and witnessed healings. And these other women also showed up time and time again throughout the entire gospel. As Jesus was condemned and Simon of Cyrene led Jesus away, they unapologetically wailed and beat their chest in loud protest. It was these women who stood in solidarity as Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. These were the women that went with Joseph of Arimathea to see the tomb and exactly how Jesus' body had been laid. And then at the break of dawn, they came back to finish the job. And isn't that, isn't that how it goes? when it's one of ours. We show up, we tell stories, we buy groceries, we wail, we weep, we protest, we stand by, and now we don't like to talk about it. We don't even like to think about it. We don't like to see it, and we certainly don't like to smell it. Death stinks. And everyone knows it's impolite to talk about things that stink. And what can we say anyway that would take the sting of death away? But then again, if we, the church, have nothing to say about sin and death on Easter morning, then I'm not sure we're really a church at all. And I imagine after all they witnessed, these women would have had Jesus' tomb smelling like a Parisian perfume, perf perfumery. I mean, that's the least they could do tend to their dead, visit the tomb, which of course is sacred ground. And so they find the tomb, but grief upon grief, they do not find the body. Instead, they find not one messenger, but two messengers. You see, according to the law of Israel, two witnesses were required for any case to be considered legit. But it is also well documented that back then, women were not considered reliable witnesses because they were evidently emotional. As first century historian Josephus states, let not a single witness be credited, but three, if not at least two, but let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of levity and the boldness of their sex nor let servants be admitted to give testimony on account of the ignobility of their soul, since it is probable they may not speak the truth. Thanks for nothing, Josephus. So instead of offering consolation like all the other angels in all of the Bible, instead of saying, fear not, in the midst of the women's dismay, they rebuke the women. 
You see, these women, they were expected to understand because they had witnessed the living Christ the entire time. But now we've got a really big problem because it seems the messengers had high expectations for these witnesses God had called, and yet the women had zero credibility in the eyes of society and religion and the law. So instead, they were instructed to do one thing, just one. Remember, why is it so easy to forget when we are grieving or suffering? Remember all they witnessed. Remember where they'd been. Remember what they'd heard. Remember what they experienced with Jesus. He told you. You saw it. You heard it. Now look around. The living one is not here among the dead. Remembering is a tall order. Because I don't know of a mother or a father or a sibling or a spouse or a child who can remember anything when they are grieving or exhausted or hearing a diagnosis for the first time or experiencing PTSD. So yes, the women are considered uncreditable, but to be clear, they did remember. And collectively, they began to connect the dots. And the fact that the 11 disciples considered the women's report nothing more than jibber-jabber Well, that's just remarkable because the 11 disciples heard exactly what all the women had heard. And not only that, but they saw Jesus walk on water. Heck, Peter walked on water. They were the ones that passed out the bread and the fish. They were the ones that saw the little girl get out of her deathbed. Peter and James were there for the transfiguration. They even sat with Jesus at the Passover table three nights ago. But they don't believe the women? And as much as I would like to tell you all that this is a story about bullheaded men and undervalued women, it's not. To be clear, they don't see the resurrection. No one does. The women only saw an empty tomb. Of course the men don't believe them. Let's face it, it's not that convincing. What changes because the tomb was empty? What changes? Nothing. Our sanctuary is full. It is Easter morning, and we still have no proof. We still doubt. We still deny. We still lie. We still hoard. We still have illnesses and trust issues. We're skeptical. We still hate and exclude. A war is still waging this morning. Guns are still being fired. We're still human. It's Easter morning, and death still happens. And you all look really, really good this morning. But Easter, it's not a grand display of perfection. It's not a pretend celebration or denial. It's not a fairy tale of immortality. God reaches into the tomb and lifts Jesus up and out. Death does not hold Jesus. He's not in the tomb. He is risen. And so what changes because Christ is risen? Well, that's a better question, isn't it? Because, well, everything changes. The resurrection changes how we live. And the resurrection even changes how we face death. If Christ is risen, then it changes how the women remember the story. If Christ is risen, their memories are seeded with a hope for the future. If Christ is risen, their lives have purpose and meaning and value beyond themselves. 
see, if Christ is risen, their identity and their self-worth and their togetherness and their joy is firmly secure in the one who lives. I mean, if Christ is risen, maybe it doesn't matter if there were one or two or 30 or no women at the threshold of the empty tomb. After all, he's risen either way, but I think it mattered because these women are witnessing to us this morning in the year 2022. You see, good people, our spiritual foundations, our emotional supports, our understanding of how the world works and who we can trust and what really matters and what it means to be a person of faith and much less what it means to be a community of faith, all of that, our network, has been completely deconstructed by the realities of this beautiful and broken world. And yet here we are, here we are gathered in this sanctuary, standing at the fulcrum of that one event in history that gives meaning to all history, including our own. And the messengers are not being very subtle about it. They are not coddling us this morning. They are telling us to wake up and remember, remember the power of God's love and grace in your life. And then let's get on with it. You see, regardless of how we come to understand the resurrection, and maybe we're running with absolute certainty, or maybe we are reluctant, but we are all here to proclaim the same thing. Death does not win. You see, these other women matter because they knew the story from the inside out, and they were invisible to the powers that be, but God's kingdom, God's reign, only welcomes, uh, not only welcomes those beyond the margins of society as credible witnesses, in Christ, these same people are empowered to move and work for God's glory. You see, as witnesses to the power of Jesus' resurrection, those with no voice are not granted front row seats, which there would be plenty here. They had leading roles in the drama of God's work of justice and love and peace. At some point along the way, these women understood. You know, it's been a while since that war in the Ukraine started. 25% of the population has been forced to flee the country. Schools are closed, families are separated. And there are now reports of brutal war crimes against civilians and especially women. A majority of the men are fighting, as you all know, but countless women are organizing and mobilizing. Recently, I learned of a network of more than 120 women volunteers who have mobilized to document the atrocities and war crimes being committed within the country. You see, they use their cell phones, and then they anonymously upload graphic videos and photos. There are over 1,200 to date, and they are put on an open database called Data Lion as evidence from within the war's hotspots. These women, more than 120 of these women, are bearing witness to the evils of this world. They are wailing loudly and beating their chest unapologetically. They are standing at the foot of the cross. And they can stand together and they can stare evil and death in the face because the resurrection changes the way we live. With hope, with purpose, with conviction, with courage, 
with trust. And so you tell me, what can we, the church, possibly say that would ever take the sting of death away? How about this? Christ is risen. Alleluia. Amen.
As we now prepare our hearts and minds for prayer, I invite you that as we pray, when I say, in your mercy, I invite you to respond with, resurrect us, O God. Let us pray. The heavens and earth rejoice. God has raised Jesus from the dead and promised us everlasting life. Nothing can separate us from God's love in Jesus Christ. We praise you, O Holy One. We adore you. We celebrate our new life in Christ and ask that you hear these prayers of your people for the power of resurrection to transform us and to set us free. In your mercy, resurrect us, O God. From pandemic exhaustion and anxiety, political divisions, violence, and war, in your mercy, resurrect us, O God. From our tendencies to hoard and consume without thought of neighbor or planet, from our need to satisfy every craving, from our habit of filling ourselves beyond what is healthy or necessary, in your mercy, resurrect us, O God. From our thirst for violence, our rationalization of revenge, our disbelief that peace is a possible path, in your mercy, resurrect us, O God. From all that lays heavy on our souls, all the messages that we are unworthy and incapable of becoming the people that you created us to be, in your mercy, resurrect us, O God. From doubts and depression, from hopeless despair, from overwhelming grief and loss, in your mercy, resurrect us, O God. From the social evils that plague us, transform us so that we might stop looking at one another as other, and instead as siblings in Christ. In your mercy, resurrect us, O God. Help us to grasp resurrection, to understand its power and to see its force and work in our world, overturning evil empires, changing the hatred within us, moving the world slowly, forcefully, bending us towards love and truth. In your mercy, resurrect us, O God. Living Christ, we praise you for opening the gates of everlasting life and leading us through the wilderness to this glorious day of hope. We are not lost, and we are not alone. Alleluia. Hear the prayers now that we pray silently on our hearts, We know that you hear all things and know all things. Let us now continue in prayer, praying the prayer that Christ taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, all that we have belongs to God. And as we celebrate our unity as a community of faith and focus our hearts on the risen Christ, let us give back to God with generous hearts.
of gratitude, let us now dedicate these gifts to God using our printed prayer of dedication. Almighty God of our salvation, from you comes every good and perfect gift. You have restored us to life and brought us back again into your love. By the triumphant death and resurrection of Jesus, enable us to love and serve you. We offer you our praise. We offer you our hearts. We offer you our money. We offer you our lives. With Easter joy, we honor you in all things. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.
rejoice with joy and proclaim the good news of the gospel. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Amen.